0: Welcome to The Concrete Podcast, where we talk all things concrete, featuring your host, Brandon Gore.
1: Welcome to The Concrete Podcast. My name is Brandon Gore. I'm your host, joined by my co-host, John Schuler. Good afternoon, John. Good afternoon. How's it going? <laughs> Good. Good. <laughs> what are you What are you doing right now? Right now,
2: I just sat down because otherwise, as you know, I pace when I talk, and uh, and then that messes up the audio. So I just planted my butt.
1: Cool. So today we're going to talk to Jeff Warren, correct? Yes. Yeah. So we'll, we'll give him a call here in a little bit. But before we talk to Jess Warren, a couple calls this week have been about the cost of Kodiak Pro Maker Mix. And some guys feel that the cost is high. so I think today, a good thing to talk about would be the actual cost of Kodiak Pro Maker Mix in comparison to doing your own mix. What does that cost? And then in- to the overall cost and profitability of an average project? Well, first, let me just put on the table,
2: you know, before we go this direction, which is, in my opinion, a big part of this. You and I, obviously, in many other podcasts, you know, we've been part of this game (laughs) for a very long time. And what we're going to talk about for and many more podcasts along the way, parts and pieces of it is, you know, there are some. Absolutely amazing artisan, craftsman, whatever you want to see. skills. I mean, amazing skills and business. you know that so this part of what we're going to be talking about is more business. It falls through the cracks, and it's it's so it's just, you know, it gets so far outside of what these guys are thinking, or, you know, that, I don't know. It blows my mind sometimes because, as you know, I I called you earlier and and said, you know, I I mean, just over the last couple of days, I've had this conversation that we're going to have, which is strictly and it was just focused for a moment on the monetary value of materials. And once I walked through it with each of these people, it was shocking because they don't you know, they didn't never looked at it that from that point of view. So. Sorry to be on that tribe for a minute,
1: but it's okay. Business. Yeah. Business. So I guess the first part of this conversation is the cost of maker mix mm-hmm. in relation to a normal, you know, shop made, you know, you're doing it your shop, GFRC type mix, where you're going right. to use essentially a 50-50 sand and Portland, some type right. of polymer, some type of plasticizer, and then your fiber and people say well maker mix the call we got today was from a guy in Canada so after he pays the taxes and duties and import fees it's about $65 mm-hmm. a bag and he thought right. that was high but uh, kind of what you and I are talking about is you know if if you're comparing a 50/50 mix to that it might mm-hmm. seem high although we'll get into the to the economics of that later but you can't compare a 50/50 mix to maker mix because it's not a 50/50 mix so if you want to compare no. Doing your own mix, you have to get all the ingredients, which there's a bunch of them. You have to order the yeah. minimum quantity the manufacturers will sell to you, which a lot of times is in the hundreds, if not thousands of pounds. You right. have to pay for the freight to get those to you. Yeah. Then you got to sit there and batch out for hours each ingredient precisely right. to end up at the same, same mix that we have. And if you did that, I mean, I thought it was going to be four or five times higher, but you're thinking it'd be 10 times or more. Cost oh, I guarantee it. That way. See, I can walk
2: back, you know, several years. So if if we will even walk back ten years ago to some of the earliest mixes that I designed, you know, back with Blue Concrete, Buddy Roads Products, except there was a group of us uh, I can name off: Joe Bates, um, uh, James McGregor, except um, remember Ron Mills in Texas? Um, you know, we would get together, you know, all like a bunch of concrete geeks, if you will and you know trade recipes and we were constantly you know chasing silica fumes and special admixtures plasticizers whatever the case may be and then there became a day meeting Sean Hayes where we made our i-made and because they were my formulas an active decision to have this stuff pre blended i'll never forget this and what when we bring some of these guys back or talk to them, you know, we'll have that discussion again with them. And I still remember because the group initially was like, oh, you know, like this is bull crap, you know, bullshit, but I just can't remember. This is, but <laughs> the moment we all could actually purchase a palette of 15 different ingredients pre blended on a palette in a bag that I could just cut the top off of. Rather than having all these raw materials, you know, that, that changed, n- none of us look back. That was the end of the conversation. Literally the end of the conversation, meaning none of us were upset about it anymore. No how, no way. And then take that further. As you very well know, anybody who comes down to my shop, you will find a plethora of raw materials all over the place that I can't really put a true value on because, yeah, You know, phone calls. But how about just store? I mean, it eats up twenty-five percent of my shop that I'm ready to get rid of at any time. So I guess what I'm saying, there is no way of comparing an apples to apples because you just couldn't do it. The reality is it can't be done economically, let
1: alone for thirty bucks a bag. Yeah. Or sixty-five if you're in Canada and you have to pay all the fees. But even at sixty-five, it's a steal for technology and the quality of products you're getting in a bag ready to go so yeah yeah, i say the second part of this equation besides the the cost of materials and tracking them down and ordering minimum minimum quantities and all those Mm -hmm. things would be uh time savings what is your time worth what is your time to drive across town to pick up sand to drive across town to pick up portland to drive across town to pick up Whatever it is, if you're lucky enough to have someplace locally that will sell you plasticizer, fiber, polymer, which there's only a few cities in the United States that anybody even stocks those things. Right. Otherwise, you're ordering online. Well, uh, and that's but even
2: taking for granted that those locally available materials fit, or let's exactly. say you know, let's say gives you the substrate that you're looking for. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, this this whole conversation is, I guess, from a business standpoint. It's undeniable. If you look at a pre-blended material versus all the batching, the five-gallon buckets, the raw materials, da-da-da, time and time and time again, anybody who circles this will – and again, now we're just talking the cement-based materials. We haven't even got into sealers. (laughs) You you will circle that wagon all day long, and I'm using brand as you will, step over dollars to save dimes. It's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, It's a ridiculous conversation. I just did some quick math. Let's say you spent a day driving around picking up ingredients. And that's mm-hmm. that's being conservative, because I used to spend more time than that when I lived in Phoenix to go to the different places I needed to get what I needed. But if you just mm-hmm. spend a day and you only value value your time at $85 an hour, which right. any business owner's time is worth four or five times that amount per hour. But let's say you just you're a glutton for punishment, you say, hey, yeah. my time's only worth 85. And that breaks down to over fifteen dollars per bag, you spent in driving around. Yeah, and chasing your tail. Yeah, chasing you spent that much. It, it, you spent that
2: much per bag in driving around. Even if you took the again, just for easy conversation, let's say three ingredients of uh, you know pre-blended, whatever those sand, cement, you know, two sands and a cement. Let's say. You mixing you and I mixing that in whatever, five gallon bucket quantities, or even in a barrel mixer quantity. When you take these materials and put them in a large sheer blender, that's like done in pre-blended materials. Well, it is
1: high-end pre-blended it, materials, not, not makes, everybody.
2: Right, it's an entirely different product. It be, It, it yeah. becomes easier to use, better with plasticizers, things become more uniform um, in dispersion and et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, so this is, I mean, all of this conversation is very difficult, um, you know, to, again, as we say, apples to apples, because you can't, you can't put yeah. apples to apples. And having this, I would bear anybody per who I spoke to today. I'm like, I called him back and I, I said, hey, man, are you interested in running an exercise with me? And he's like, you know what, John? Yeah. And I said, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to sit down. I want to take your current. Now, again, let's just talk monetary value, dollars and cents, not the emotional cost or the time cost. just dollars and cents. I want you to break down your dollar and cents in the material you're using, um, you know, your curing methods and the sealer that you're using. And then I want you to go the other direction and look at the other, purely in monetary value, and he's like, okay, so he's going to get back to me on that. Uh, That being said, as you know, I just got done, I think I posted pictures about it, I just did essentially 45 square feet of my own kitchen, using Maker Mix, using ICT, and if you looked at that, my square foot cost in Maker Mix alone, was $7 a square foot, my per square foot, application methods of ict was 24 cents and if you looked at well between all the applications of ict okay it cost me now and i'm basing this number on a retail price of a quart and then i just threw in another 25 cents assuming or 25 dollars assuming you spent 100 bucks a quart so it cost me a total of 60 dollars in sealer including all applications so, you know the reality is that pro- from a raw ma- from a materials cost would have been what eight bucks a square foot. I don't know man. that's that's a tough that yeah, that's a tough one to argue. Well, we'll get to that in a
1: second. Yeah. But the second part of doing it yourself is accuracy, and the reality yes. that if you're batching it yourself, you have forty five gallon buckets set up, and each one has, this one has a poslin. This one doesn't. And you're like, did, did I put did I put Vcast or did I put Metakalin or whatever it is you're putting there? Did I put that in there? Because I'm using white right. Portland that I can't tell. Did we put that in there? Hey, right. yo, did you put this in there? I don't know. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. You get that, and then you cast, and occasionally something wasn't done correctly, and you end up recasting a piece. Well, that one project, that one right. project in forming materials, time, product. And then having to redo it all again, any profitability you had in doing it yourself for the year just went out the window. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. You Absolutely. know, it's not just that one project. I mean, you it, it's like when, when you speed, you know, the speed limit 70 and you decide I'm going to go 80, right? So mm-hmm. you're making up a little bit of time, but you get pulled over and you sit there for 20 minutes while he you checks your license, registration, calls it in. And that 20 minutes, all the gains you made are that, you know, that day of speeding just went out the window. You know, I think of that. How many times we've we been on a,
2: a, you know, on the freeway. Let, let's even say like a three-lane, four-lane freeway, right? And it always seems there's that one car dodging in and out of all the lanes, you know, trying to get one more car length in front, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think I was probably that person too when I was 17 years old. Who knows? But you know, zipping, and zipping, and zipping. And people are getting pissed, and you just kind of stay in your lane because. You're like, man, this this traffic's not going anywhere. And before you know it, two minutes later, there's that same car that was dodging in and out, back and forth, up and down. And he's now two car lengths
1: behind you <laughs> in the other lane. Because yeah, he got they behind the, the semi s- and couldn't get <laughs> over, and then you <laughs> go past him. Yeah. Yeah. It's so it's... funny, man. Well, so the other funny. thing is you're driving down you're driving down the highway. I don't know, you're on I ten going across California. And you have the Concrete Podcast playing in your yeah. car. You're no, you're enjoying the sweet, smooth voices of Brandon Gore yeah. and John Schuler. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the second part of it: is accuracy. What is the accuracy yeah. of doing it yourself? And what's the reality? And the reality is, everybody that does it that way has mistakes. So. Right. That's just what happens when, when you have it pre-blended, especially if you're getting it from a reputable company right. that has processes in place. Because you know there are some some toll blenders out there that play a little bit fast and loose, and you know batches aren't really you know uh, weighed out specifically as they should. Um, and that does happen. Our blender is of the highest caliber, and our right. mixes are super accurate and super consistent. So there's a ton of value in that, but then the next part of this, which you started to allude to, is what is the cost per square foot, right, of our product? And you hit on the materials cost and the sealer cost, and all together, a high mm-hmm. estimate of that was eight bucks a square foot, correct? Well, there used to be a time we used sealers that the sealer alone was
2: eight bucks a square foot. Well, that just that, well, that's that's what prompted this because this individual which is using a product or he just brought in a product and I'm going to say he's still on the hamster wheel of sealers, right? He still thinks like a lot of people, he still thinks uh, what, Oh, the Achilles heel is the sealer until I have this long conversation with him. Like, no, man, the <laughs> process you know, you're not starting from the beginning. It's your concrete, your cure methods, and then your choice of sealers. But where I was going with this is at the end of the day, and I had him do this while I was on the phone. Cause I said, I'll tell you what, let's just pick, for for an easy one, because he didn't know his uh, raw material costs in the concrete that he was using, let's just choose the sealer. He's like, okay. And I said, all right, well, how, how many three, you know, and I went to the manufacturer's website. I won't say who it is. And I said, per the manufacturer, it says, you know, an application is, you know, just over a buck a square foot. How many applications are you doing? He goes, usually about three to four. I said, okay. So added up, that ended up $6 a square foot. Just in sealer alone. And he's like, eh, Yeah, that's what we have. And I go, Okay. And then let me ask you, we won't even get into the materials that get wasted per application. I said, But every application based on this thing, you end up throwing away your roller covers and they're not reusable, right? He's like, Yeah, I know they're. So what does that cost you? And his first answer, Oh, you know, I wasn't thinking about that. And I said, Well, four applications. He goes, You're right. I use, One to roll it on, another one to back roll it off. I use a different roller for the tight corners. He says, "So yeah, I'm throwing around throwing away four roller covers per application." So ultimately, him and I in this conversation came upwards of eight dollars a square foot just in sealer, just sealer. Yeah. (laughs) So, so. Um, and that, again, we won't even go down the whole diatribe about, well, and that sealer, what, is his ex- what, you know, what are the expectations? Oh, and then I forgot another one. This particular one, and he just purchased, he's going to use some uh, 1.5 kilowatt IR heaters as part of its thing. And I said, okay, well, that's, you know, three kilowatts an hour. What's that costing you? And he's like, oh, my God, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> that's a man. You're going to run those for eight hours, if not overnight. What's that adding to it? And you only have two of them when you probably need a dozen for a project. So I don't know. It's just interesting. It's 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 the business side that far too many people don't really itemize these kind of things yeah. to really take a look at.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, so Maker Mix and ICT was running you, and you're very accurate and – uh, meticulous about keeping detailed spreadsheets, so it's running yeah. less than eight dollars. But we're just going to round up to eight to be safe. Correct. Eight dollars yeah. for cost. Whereas, let's say we're using, let's say we're using another bagged mix, but a very simple bag mix. Mm-hmm. And instead of being, what'd you say, Rand? For our seven bucks, seven dollars a square foot. Okay. okay. I, so on, instead of it being. Go ahead i'm sorry Well, us say it's not being seven let's just estimate like this other product is five bucks a square foot right uh, well I was it's not say 20.
2: so i i'm one of the really inexpensive super down and dirties that i know is out there is 20 bucks a bag and i again won't say who it is it's a simple sand cement mix twenty dollars a bag yeah so 30 so say- less right yeah, yeah. right
1: So 30% less, so seven times 0.7 is 4.9. I said five bucks, so there you go. Okay, so five five bucks a bag, or five bucks a square foot. So you're saving $2 a square foot in concrete mix. Now, with that other mix, you're probably not using ICT. It's probably a more porous mix. You're probably going to use a topical. So now you're not getting the savings of using the Reactive because it's a very low-cost sealer. Per square foot. So now you're going to use a topical that, you know, like you just said, was costing eight bucks a square foot. Right. Right there, you're at $13 a square foot. Right. And you're stepping over dollars to pick up dimes. You're like, oh, well, Maker Mix is 30. I can get this for 20. I'm saving exactly. money.
3: Yeah, isn't that But funny? you're actually I, almost
1: that's... spending double yeah. than what you I mean. would have used the best products on the market. The highest quality you can get in the world right. would cost you less than using a lower quality product. That you have to seal with a with a topical sealer that's destined to fail that cost a fortune. Yeah. Well, and that was part of our conversation as we started moving over.
2: Like I said, I I got into just because I didn't really want to, and I call I call it the emotional cost. But I'm just saying it's all the stuff we can't really put a or that we don't really put a monetary value on. And I asked him, I said, you know. How often do you guys get into these conversations with you and your partner? He goes, Oh my God, man, every day. I'll bet an hour, or two hours are our time. You know, again, their conversation always evolves around the sealer this or this or that or which one. And we got to order this, bring in this one. And he's got five different sealers that they brought in. And I said, like, Well, what's that costing you? You know, what's that hourly <laughs> conver- What does that cost you? And then I alluded back to my personal project that was, again, higher estimate, eight bucks a square foot that I got no issues with. <laughs> you know, that, that you know, that I'm putting, that I'm using, you know, within three days after casting and sealing. And they, I don't know, it's, it's it, I, I don't know what to say. I'll use the word interesting, but this is a side, and I encourage anybody listening to this podcast uh, later on is I encourage you to sit down And go through this exercise in what you're using, what you're doing, why you're using it, and really bring that cost full swing into your face. eh, You'll find the same thing like most of us have been doing this. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense why you're not using a you know a a
1: much better material and et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, something that you. Feel great about that you know you did the best you could do. Your reputation, your livelihood, your longevity rides upon you doing the best work you can humanly do at that moment in time. Mm -hmm. And today, the best product on the market by far is Kodiak Pro Maker Mix and ICT. And so if you're running a business, you want to use the best products you can use. And what we're trying to illustrate is the best product actually costs you less than using an inferior product with the right. crappy sealer, it cost a fortune. Absolutely. I mean, look at it. I mean,
2: there's a lot of stuffs out there, you know, 500, you know, what, uh, hundreds of dollars a quart, or they do it by ounces or whatever the case may be. And it's just, you, and you may not even take into a kick. Some of them have hazmat fees or whatever the case may be. Or like well, I just- Well, they're catalyzed.
1: So you mix oh, oh, yeah. up. You don't want to run out halfway through. So you mix up Eggs. two times oh, more hey. than you need so you don't run out, and then you throw yeah. it away.
2: And I kept saying roller covers for those guys that aren't catching that. Roller, co- I'm talking about, yeah, your 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 application tooling is not reusable.
1: <laughs> so, yeah. you, you know, that needs to be taken into account. Uh, well, if you're using high isn't. quality roller covers, they're 2 to $3 a piece for the good exactly. ones. If, if you go to Sherwin ones, Williams exactly. and don't get the crappy bundle packs at Lowe's, if you go there and right. you get the high quality ones, which is what you'd want to use if you're rolling on a topical on a countertop yeah. that you're charging 150 bucks a square foot for. So let's let's say you spend three bucks per cover and you use 16 of them. What is that? 48 bucks, almost 50 bucks with tax plus your time Mm -hmm. to go get them. So let's let's call it 150 bucks that you spend on roller covers,
2: you know? Well, that in and of itself on project, my side would have added another
1: $3 a square foot. Yeah, exactly. So that brings us to that part of this conversation is how does it, relate to the overall profitability of a project, materials cost. So if we're mm-hmm. talking about maker mix and ICT costing you eight bucks a square foot, or if you're in Canada, 16 a square foot, which mm-hmm. is really being generously high, it's probably going to be less than that. But let's say it is 16 square foot. If you're charging sure. a minimum of 135 square foot minimum, mm-hmm. which is what I was charging 12, 13 years ago as my minimum... So let's say you're charging 135 a square foot. How is that affecting your profitability on a project? If you're if your project is four bags of mix, it's a sink, you're using four bags of mix, you mm-hmm. know, and it is thirty dollars a bag versus uh, the cheaper mix, which is twenty bucks a bag, you save yeah. forty dollars yeah, and that's crazy on project It's crazy. they are charging three or four thousand dollars for you know.
2: So I I encourage people, you know, go through that exercise because when you, as we're having this conversation and you and I have had this many times, even with the other uh, guys that I know, once it's broke down into these kind of terms, it just makes no sense. It makes, it's not logical at all to complain about 10 bucks, you know, or $20 in,
1: in a cost on a project. It makes no, it makes no sense. Yeah. Well, in the last yeah. workshop we did here, the fall pinnacle class, which for the people – or actually, it's a spring pinnacle class because the mm-hmm. fall one is coming up. So people listening, we have a class coming up November 1st through 6th here in Eureka Springs. Me, John Schuler, and Dusty Baker is a six-day class. It is mm-hmm. phenomenal. It is the most in-depth class on the market anywhere in the world. If you want to learn how to do things the correct way from guys that do this for a living every single day and have done so for nearly two decades each, come to the Pinnacle Concrete class. You won't regret it. But in the last class we did in the spring, you had a spreadsheet. And yeah. people, we brought up the cost of make or mix, you know, and, and people are like, whoa, that's expensive. And you yeah. went through, you said, okay, what do you pay for Portland where you are? And you plugged it in. What do you pay for sand? You plugged it in. What do you pay for this? You plugged it in. How many hours would it take to do that? Uh, three hours, all right. And what do you think your time's worth? And people are saying, ah, 20 bucks, plug it yeah. in. Every single one of them ended up being more expensive
2: yeah, that than just crazy? using Maker.
1: Every single and that's one, what it was one instance. Putting it in that, that, again,
2: that terms, if you will, that that the light bulbs went on everybody's head, like, oh my God, I've never looked at it from that point of view. Well, you should, you absolutely should, yeah. I mean, you're taking your time yeah. to, you know, pay for training, and that's a whole nother cost that I think oftentimes um, gets overlooked. I mean, not the cost of a of a class. I mean, like the benefit, the value, of that cost, the yeah. value, absolutely. Uh, some people get it, um, yeah. and Some people don't, but that in of itself is a huge value in training to to again to get you up and going and and move past and be on top of some of these conversations that I just obviously just told you about having. Three people I've had this conversation with over the last couple of days, and everyone ended up the same. They're just shaking their head like, I just, I wasn't looking at it from that point of view. And then I'm on the other yeah. end of the phone conversation going like, I don't understand why you weren't looking at it from that point of view, uh, which is interesting, right? We'll talk to Jess today, Warren. We'll see what his take on it. I mean, I, I'm always interested to see what other guys are saying. We'll see what he says about training too.
1: Hasn't I think yeah. Jess has been to some workshops, hasn't he? He's been or to several. He's been, oh, no, yeah. he's been. he's been. Oh. He's been to several. Yeah. So he's been oh, to okay. numerous workshops. So the cost of the workshop, if it's your first time coming, is forty-five hundred dollars. And guys yeah. are like, "Oh, that's expensive," compared to what? Yeah. Compared to what? Compared to the online training on YouTube from guys who don't do this for a living, they actually work in IT or at Starbucks or wherever it is they work. They're making videos on the side on how to do stuff. Is that who you want to learn how to do this from? If you come to a class and it saves you from redoing one single project, the class paid for itself. I assure you that coming to a class will keep you from making hundreds of thousands of dollars in mistakes over the course of your career. By coming to the class and learning how to do things right the first time instead of doing what we did, which was years and years and years and decades of trial and error. Right. What is the cost of that? I mean it's hundreds of thousands. So by coming to a class for $4,500, that will keep you from redoing one project to pay for itself. If it keeps you from redoing more than one, you're, you're money ahead all day of the week. Um, if you've been to a concrete design school class then we offer it to you for half price because you've already come to the class now you're coming back as a refresher and we're happy to have you and we reward repeat attendees by giving you half off so it's 50 percent off so it's 22.50. 50 every class we have two three four five repeat yeah, attendees two. yeah come back yeah. yeah and we love it you know they come back we remember them we had a great time last time they're here and Mm-hmm. It's always a good time. So anyways, uh, we have that class coming up November 1st through 6th. Go to ConcreteDesignSchool.com to read more or to register. Yeah. Anything? No, that's it. I'm,
2: let's, let's see if we get Jess on the line.
1: here with jess warren from quest crete in ohio how's it going jess very good Hey, hey, hey you're just telling us about an interesting project you're working on you're doing a orange ish countertop with some cool uh slurry yep it is a it's a customer
0: i've been working with since uh, a year ago september um and uh they started with nothing as far as basically had a concrete pad and it was the color Sedona from uh, Solomon and they wanted me to match it and uh so we went up with a different variation uh it's an entertainment place it has a pizza oven some other things and uh but I didn't want to do the same I didn't want it to look like okay we just poured you know the same tops or the same concrete as they had for their pad and the pad that they used for the pizza oven so we went with a little different mix you know we went with a heavy dusty dust um little wetter mix and um no wet polish and we just basically flip slurry with the secondary color which is 50 percent of the main color has a really cool veining look to it and you have to, you have to get on top of it to see it but it looks really cool and then uh we sand it off and it's got a real nice leathery feel to it and it's probably one of our go-tos. Um people like that finish that uh I call leather. But um yeah, so yeah, right now it's uh it's got a waterfall edge with a um <clears throat> with a built-in grill on the bottom side of the waterfall edge. So a little bit of a little bit of fine yeah. tuning on, on the build. So um and then well, uh the large piece is one twenty-one and a half by one oh eight.
1: So, damn that yes. is big it is, that is big. yes yeah. it is yeah how do you cast how do you cast a piece that big without any seams or do you have seams no seams are bad you so, don't like seams no i don't i
0: don't like seams um i do them on occasion if i if i if the physics and the geometry will not allow me to get the piece into the house then you know obviously we, we work it out but uh I try and hide them as much as possible, or I try and make them an accent feature. I was showing Spencer on our website. Um, we did a top four or five years ago in a basement, and I made all the seams kind of look like the same fissures as the as the Dusty Creek look, and, nice. and then we colored them to to waterfall out. So client fell in love with it. But anyways, yeah. So um, this piece here, it's outdoors. The only trouble is uh, the eave heights are only 96 inches, so it'll be a little bit of a trick to uh yeah
2: bring it top. in
0: yeah yeah table top it in and drop it in place so but we'll what are you done. casting on what are you casting I, on for a piece that I big uh i have a table that is eight by 16 um and it's a uh, cold rolled steel okay and um if i have to i do extensions um something i've been doing lately that has been working really well uh, where I have to do a bondo seam or anything like that, um, what I've been doing is a fifty-fifty mineral spirits and petroleum uh, jelly, and I put it on the bondo seam for about ten minutes, and then I wipe off the excess, and then I hit it with one coat of honey wax, and pops like a dream, and it leaves no marks. You can't really, really? yeah, I can't. I you cannot find where it was.
2: Interesting. And that's because bondo that's right always on shows bondo. up. Yeah, right on the Bondo. Huh. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. See, I just. The, yeah, go I've done ahead. the Bondo several times where then, you know, I've done everything with, you know, covered in an epoxy or a, or a urethane or whatever mm-hmm. the case may be. But yeah, you always see it. I mean, no matter what. So yeah, I, I'd like, I'll try I'll that send you both spirit, pictures
0: but... of where the seam was. I'll, I'll show you, I'll take a picture of where the Bondo seam is. And then I'll send you a picture of where it's at on the top. You can't find it. Okay, cool. Interesting.
1: Yeah. yeah but you're doing great. the dusty powder over everything which probably helps hide it if you're doing just an sec gfrc you'd probably see some type of either swelling the bondo the moisture make it swell or something that would ghost where it was
0: we used to um we used to uh i used to paint it with kills and uh Mm. primer but um if you don't wait a certain amount of time and outdoor temperature plays a role and all kinds of stuff, uh, especially if we do an SEC, it will it'll stick. It sands off on the other side, but it'll stick. So but uh, no, we have found that this 50 50 is not like stuff because uh, I do it on all my molds, too. And I'll tell you this. I did a sink last week uh, for a client of mine. And it's a mold that I've used, I don't know, maybe two or three times. And I, and I make most of my own, and uh, I had never done this before, but I did that 50-50 mixture on that sink mold, and, and then the one coat of honey wax, and I pulled the mold by hand. Like, literally wow. just reached in, and it popped right out. Insane. So it, it, and again,
2: mineral spirits and Vaseline.
0: Yeah, mineral spirits and Vaseline. I just weigh it out on the, on the gram scale and go 50-50 mixture mix it until it's like a snot. And then, you know, I, I wipe it on. I wait, I, you know, I good heavy coat. I wait 10 minutes and, and then wipe off the excess. And then I go one coat of honey wax afterwards.
2: Cool. Yeah. I'll try that.
1: Yeah. I used to do that back in the day, but I had some issues with the mineral spirits attacking gel coat on my molds. Specifically. I have a modern Muskoka fiberglass mold for my chair. Yeah. And the gel coat was getting killed by the mineral spirits. I finally had to take it to a fiberglass guy that took all the gel coat off, re-gel coated it. But he told me stop doing that. Do not put that on on the gel coat. Maybe one one or two times it doesn't hurt it, but I'd cast, you know, numerous times a week into that mold. So I, I switched away from doing it, but yeah, apparently the mineral spirits, mineral spirits wasn't too good for the fiberglass.
0: I guess i i mean the only thing i've been using is resin you know when i make my sink molds it's i mean i have a resin coat so it doesn't seem to affect it so far um but we'll see all i know is most of the time too when i pour when i do tops on top of the bondo um generally what happens is the top wants to stick to that area i don't know how many times even if i waxed it if i did you know i would do like five six seven coats of honey wax um even if i primed it with the kills it just seemed to want to stick right there where that bondo area was not today it just
2: cool wow
0: it popped so yeah i'll probably continue to do this uh especially on you know uh, where the uh you know where we have to do it very rare i mean maybe five tops in the last year that i've had to add on to the table um so Everybody asks me they're like table that big how can you move it what's well, on wheels I have I have it on uh, trailer jacks and uh, so I can raise and lower to make it level and whatever elevation we're at and then I can move it in and out move it around move it around the shop so it works out well
2: Nice well, it's good to have a nice big surface anyway
0: Yes yeah. yes it is Yep yeah the only the only time it's a hassle is when I want to use the whole table and I can't reach to the middle so I have to climb
1: you know that's but yeah, right. that doesn't happen very often <laughs> Yeah Right on. Nice, man. So yesterday, an order came in from you for another pallet of Maker Mix. Mm-hmm. So you're now on the Maker Mix train, casting your pieces. Yes. Which means at some point, because Maker Mix is fairly new to the market, and you've been in business for quite a, quite a while, mm-hmm. so at some point you made the switch from another product. We don't need to know what the other product was, but why did you make the switch from whatever you were using to make or mix ah uh, two reasons um
0: there was some ir- irregularity i felt in the former product uh when we were mixing and what i mean by that is we just didn't seem like no matter if we used the same water same mix design same everything um it just didn't seem like you know we could get a consistent and there was a slight variation but it drove me nuts the second reason was when the product was finished And I don't know why. Maybe it had to do with some type of polymer that they used in their mix, but it had a horrible smell. Um, Mm. And it it, uh, it smell like dead fish or cat pee? Yeah, like decaying, you know, like decaying seashells, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I love
1: that smell. Love it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, I have a funny story about it. I'll tell you about it in a minute, but go ahead.
0: So I was getting complaints from clients that. Whenever they opened their kitchen cabinets, they would get this nice woof of dead fish smell. But the ironic part is I did tables for our church. And two of the pastors came up to me. And they were like, hey man, is there anything like it's in your mix? Or I'm like, What's up? They were like, We can smell like it smells like dead fish in this corner and i walk over there and it is like take your breath away i'm like it will eventually go away because it's a it's an air dot and it did it did eventually go away but it was our info center area which is like all the new people that come in that's where they go and you're like great you know that i mean that's that's exactly and uh so um i told my wife so just put an air freshener over there for right now and and uh you know but yeah so that and that was a big reason. And then when I found out maker's mix smelled like blueberries, I mean, who doesn't want to smell yeah. blueberries? Right.
3: right. Exactly.
0: So, exactly. Uh, but I was looking for a more consistent mix and I was looking for a mix that I felt was a little bit stronger. And what I mean by strength is whether it be compactual or whether it be uh, lateral strength, as far as, you know, bend resistance, things of that nature. Um, where i didn't have to use as much reinforcement um
2: so you mean, primary reinforcement
0: yes like uh yeah. whether it be basalt rod whether it be basalt scrim whether it be additional scrim um and and you know to date since i've started using it a year ago i think a year ago is when i started using it um, and and uh i mean to date we we've done some pretty crazy things with with i mean i've tabletops, some stuff with sink necks in them that i thought this is going to break this is going to break and it, it didn't. So, um, yeah, right on. yeah. So, I mean, that's, but that's the main gist of, those were the main two reasons.
1: So that polymer you're speaking of from that previous product, I had uh-huh. the exact same experience, exactly the same. And okay. I called John because John was familiar with that powdered polymer. And John said, "Uh, oh, it'll dissipate. It's the amines or whatever it was it's yeah, the amines it. in it it'll dissipate i'm like all right bro so i cast a black desk for a jeweler in scottsdale and we did this you know really cool base for it powder coat the base uh inlaid some silver pieces for it. and it's a super high-end jewel. it's like a private jewelry studio for rich people in scottsdale it's on a 10th floor of a skyscraper anyways I don't do uh, installation, but I will occasionally deliver a piece if it's small enough that I can put it in my truck and drive there. So she asked me, can you deliver this piece? Absolutely. It's, it was a charcoal color. So we loaded it in the back of my truck. I let it set in my studio for probably a month after we cast it so the smell would dissipate. And after yep. about a month, I'd go up and smell it. I, I mean, it was faint, but I could barely smell it. And I'm like, oh, whatever. So we loaded it in the back of my truck. We drive to Scottsdale from Tempe. We get there, I pull the blankets off, it's sitting in the sun, and it's the middle of summertime. So that black concrete probably got to 150, 160 degrees pretty quick. So we carry it in, we go up the elevator, we put it in her office, which is probably like 12 by 12, and you know, the door shut. And it smells like we gutted a carp that had been out in the sun for two weeks, <laughs> full of maggot. She walks in and I mean she assumed like we were ripping parts inside her office. But she like looks at us, like, hey,
3: how's it going
1: <laughs> yeah, and, uh, but it was it was it was outgassing all that smell because it got hot in the sun all the pores opened up and it was just outgassing it yeah. and it smelled horrible and that also happened funny enough to another jewelry piece we had there was another jeweler in phoenix called mother of gideon and actually made our wedding rings but they wanted us to make a concrete display case with this uh glass top on it and i made that but i used that powdered polymer from that previous product, same thing. She said every time they'd open up the case to show something, it smelled like death. <laughs> and she asked me, what can we do? And I said, uh, I don't know. And they, they ended up putting like a little uh, air freshener inside that case, which is yep. so embarrassing. It is. But it was it was a problem that shouldn't have happened in the first place, in my opinion. There's, there was other products on the market uh, that could have been used. But people were, it went so far that people were putting vanilla extract powdered vanilla or liquid vanilla in their yeah. concrete in an attempt to override the smell of that. To mask it. Yeah. 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 Well, it I, was banana.
0: I had several, several clients that, you know, would call me and say, love the tops. Everything's great. But you know, when I opened my kitchen cabinets, <laughs> I said, let me guess. It smells like decaying fish under there. They're like, yes. What is that? I said, it's, it's a product. It's your the It'll eventually go yeah. away. You're a slob. You're a <laughs> yeah. slob. That's the problem. You need to be Still cleaner again.
3: <laughs> so,
0: yeah. I mean, oh. I, I mean, I've never had anybody say, "Get them out of here, do something different." I've never had to come to that point, but I mean, uh, so yeah. You feel so, bad. It's I, embarrassing. Well, I mean, the thing is, I mean, we offer professional service and we offer a professional product, and. You know everything's been fine tuned to this point, and then you know the curtain call or or you know that they're asking for is is their top smell like dead fish. So right. um, yeah, it's just not it's not a good scene. So yeah, that yeah. was a that was a hu- big big one though. But um, yeah, and like I said, as soon as as soon as I found out <laughs> makers mix smelled like blueberries, I'm like I'm in. I'm in. On yeah. Well, I got
2: a question for you, which is you know go in another direction that Brandon and I have talked about quite a bit together Uh, Uh other conversations I have around, how about from a business point of view, other than smell, uh, did you ever sit down and actually like, you know, whether it be a square foot cost, material cost, like, like, you know, the cost of change either from the product you came from, or, I mean, do, do you ever sit down and look at that from a business point of view and what your material costs are? Yeah. Um, I did. There's,
0: I mean, it was a slight increase from the previous product, but not enough to change my mind. Um, and when I say slight, I'm talking pennies, you know, it it was, you know, I worked out the percentage and, and, uh, I've John, I've spent hours sitting down trying to figure out how I can, you know, how I could cheapen up the product, you know, because there's several companies out there that that's what they push on their training products. When, When they do trainings, is oh we can we can get you down to seven dollars a square foot or we can get you down to where you're you're making concrete for three dollars and fifty cents. I'm like you're not factoring in labor though, and then guys just look at yeah. me sideways when I bring that up. They're like, what do you mean labor? I'm like, how long does it take you to bucket out? I mean, if you have a hundred square foot top to, or a kitchen that you have to do, I'm gonna have fifty buckets lined up, and if it takes me two hours to batch out, you know what? I can make that up, and 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 in and, and a pre-bag mix that was a huge determining factor i've even gone as far as you know i looked at the admix which i use in my in in my slurries but i looked at i'm like okay well maybe i can save a little bit if i you know I buy my own portland and buy my own sands and then throw in the admix and we'll figure that out but it boils down it, we're talking cents i mean you know not to belabor it but stepping over dollars to pick up dimes is what i was doing and interesting i, yeah. I, I just figured in my mind i thought you know what screw it i'm just going with a pre-bag mix this is what it's going to be um and from a uh square footage price you know hasn't changed my game at all like i said when you know from what i charge you know to customers would have been fractions i mean just decimal point It, it, it was not a it was not a huge huge difference
2: so um I mean, well, that's good to hear because, yeah, I mean, you're you're preaching to the choir a little bit. This is a earlier I was talking to you know three three different people. I've had this conversation with literally after the last couple over the last couple of days, Mm -hmm. and when when I sit down and break it down from this point of view, meaning the business point of view, it always ends up the same. Like I I don't I don't know why you're not doing it this way. That many of us long ago have now moved this direction but part of that too other than the cost Brand and I have alluded to is and you're saying the same thing I'm, I'm guessing right is now you have something that's other than pre-blended it's consistent you know uh, and it, it offers other valuations to your business other than just how much
1: that bag costs. right. Yeah. Absolutely yeah well you can well, make pieces that would have broken previously so that's number one number two, the sealer, John Schuler's ICT technology, it works specifically or extremely well because it's designed for this with Maker Mix. So now you're getting a higher performance in product, so your clients end up with a better performing product where you don't have callbacks, you don't have issues that you would have had if you used a different product and put a topical sealer on it. You'll when you listen back to this podcast, me and John had a conversation right before we called you, where John was talking about on his last project, he put into a spreadsheet the cost of Maker Mix and ICT, and it was a little bit less than $8 a square foot for materials, a little bit less than eight bucks. And there's sealers on the market today that are $8 a square foot just for the sealer. Let's just say on an average, I don't know, what's an average kitchen? 50 square foot
2: plus or minus? Yeah. If you don't mind me asking, Jess, how much, in let's say overall quantity, of sealer would you say that you typically use on a 50 square foot kitchen? About a quart. So again about a quart. Yeah. 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 Start so start to finish your into it a buck a square foot, Um, something like that in sealer. uh, Yeah, it's uh it's probably
0: closer to I mean I I figured it out at one time. It's probably around 87, 88 cents or something like that is what I had figured out. Um you know and, and, and that's all your applications included. That's not per application. That's all your applications included. Yeah. That includes. I mean, and I mean, if I throw in the microfiber sponge that I do ten kitchens with, I mean, I can't even factor that in. That's pennies. I mean, that's. Yeah. I mean, it might even be less than a penny um, for what I'm getting out of. You know, yeah. I I, I don't. Uh, I don't foresee. The interesting thing when you talk about sealers, and this is where I, I try and tell people all the time. And I had this discussion with Joe Dietz not too long ago. who's a good friend of mine on the East coast. And I said to him, you know why you don't have problems with sealer? He goes, why? I said, cause you use like-minded products. And so do I, I said, these guys that use all these off the wall ingredients and then try and use one sealer for everything, even though they have to understand the science and the technology. I said, that's why I have the success that I have. All of my products come from the same place. Yeah. I said, it's, it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's inevitable that it's going to work. And I said, it's why it's easy to figure out. And I had, a, I had a heart to heart with a guy who's a good friend of mine lives in South Dakota. And he said, he said, I should be able to buy one sealer for any application. I said, really? He said, yeah. I said, well, let me ask you this. He said, what? Well, I said, when you walk into a paint store, he goes, yeah. And I said, you, what, you tell them, I want to buy paint. I said, what's the first question they're going to ask you?
2: Yeah. What's <laughs> interior they're going to exterior, say,
0: yeah. what are you painting? are you painting drywall? Are you painting aluminum? Are you painting steel? Are you painting concrete? Because there's a different paint for all of it. And I Mm -hmm. said, that's the reason why not all sealers work well with every piece of concrete. I said, if I polish concrete, you know, up to 10,000 on a diamond bit, it's not going to take anything. It's going to be so dense that it won't accept anything. And you're only going to be the only thing you can use as a topical. So it's, and I have had so many of those that, like till I'm blue in the face, but there's guys out there that firmly believe they should be able to buy. And getting back to what you said, Brandon, one, another great reason that I use the makers mix along with the ICT is because recovery from emotional, like standing around trying to figure out why stuff isn't working. I don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I used to spend hours trying to figure this out or figure that out. And I'm like, you know, and, and I'm to the point now where it's like, we don't even think about it. Even my son, who's only been in it for a couple of years, he doesn't even think about it. It's just, this is what we do. And, and uh, that has saved a lot on the brevity, I would say, of, you know, the weight of the business, trying to figure out the
2: problems. Those are gone. That stuff's right. gone. Yeah, that's what I refer to as the emotional cost that, you know, it's hard to put a monetary value on that emotional cost, but- You know, if you're on that hamster wheel, like so many guys, I'm guessing like your friend in South Dakota, who I'm sure more than once has found himself, he thinks he's still looking for the quote unquote, perfect sealer. And I can only imagine how many emotional highs and lows or, you know, how many products that he purchased and did work or didn't work and how many phone calls and conversations and, you know, how many scratching his head moments that he's had and. I mean, that's the emotional part of it that you that's almost impossible to put a monetary value on. And, um, uh, yeah, that's it, a hard one. It is, but
0: the, the carryover for me is this most of that emotional bondage or bank baggage, I would call it, doesn't generally carry over because within the business you can handle it. But when it carries over into your personal life, because then your wife wonders why you're so stinking grumpy. Because you yeah. spent the last two hours instead of being productive trying to figure out problems that you shouldn't have to be figuring out. You know, that stuff carries over into relationships and all kinds of stuff. So to me, the, there is no monetary value because it's priceless. That yeah. that because you can't get time back. You just can't get it back.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, we used to lose nights of sleep back in yes. the day when we were using topicals that were failing and you get that phone call and somebody says, the sealer's peeling off and then the next day you get another phone call. And then the next day you get another phone call and the whole avalanche is coming and you know, it's coming that level of stress. It's hard to, to define how bad that affects your health and your relationships and just your general, you know, state of mind and happiness. Yeah. Just so, your being
2: Yeah. That's, this, yeah. that's just an unfortunate spot to be in. No question about it. Yeah. 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 But some, some guys are still doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, thank yeah, I,
0: not me man Not me I don't even You know if I go to a training or if I go somewhere If I spend some time at another guy's shop You know and, and they're like oh you got to try This you know this would be This is the best I'm like you know what I'm good with what I got I'm, I'm, I'm good with it I don't have Problems and case in point yeah. is this Right now I had a client we just recently installed Tops had a client call me. she goes I got a spot Right in the middle of my island I said send me a picture So she sends me a picture I said how long did whatever Product you had sit there she said about a day and a half two days and i said and that was what she said a rotten tomato now why you would have <laughs> a rotten tomato sit on your counter for a day and a half is
3: beyond
1: yeah. me okay yeah mm-hmm. and if you put that rotten tomato on your car hood for a day and a half it's yeah. going to damage your paint yeah. just use shave that's what i tell them go out and put
0: shaving cream on your car and see what happens so yeah i go out i'm talking to her casually i take a little bit of clorox cleaner put it on there. I wait about 10 minutes, wipe it off. Hit it with a burnishing pad, an 800 burnishing pad, wipe a little sealer on it. She goes, what the hell did you do? And I said, I cleaned it. She goes, yeah, but I've been wiping it up. I said, no, you got to clean. I told you this sealer is reactive. I said, you have to be able to think outside the box. It's not like polyurethane on your dining room table. And she's like, I can clean this with Clorox if I want to. I said, yes, you won't hurt it a bit. She was like, "Okay, yeah. I mean, I was there like 15 minutes, and and uh, you know, I said, you know, my advice to you is not leave rotten stuff laying on your counters, but I mean, you do what you got to do. So, um, but at the same time, that's because I understand the product because I have that peace of mind of knowing how to fix that stuff, you know. So uh, it's just, I mean, it's just, it's it's numbing. My wife cut up. She just did my future daughter-in-law shower. She cut up 75 lemons to make this lavender lemonade for the shower on our counters. <laughs> I'm freaking out, right? I'm like, you got to put something down. She's like, Why? Well, I said, you know, a little bit of lemon juice isn't bad, but 75 lemons. So I get done. We get done. She goes, there's some spotting. I said, I got it. I grabbed some cooking spray, wiped it on gone yeah gone I mean it's just she's like cooking spray I'm like honey i don't know if, I'm not gonna explain the, the science behind it just <laughs> this is, this is what it is and she's like okay, so yeah to me the comfortability of of knowing how to handle the product how to use it and and uh, we just had really good success I, I mean I and I can't speak enough volumes about it but i I think the other thing that guys try to do especially in our industry, everybody's about speed turnover. How fast can I get, how fast can I get it done? How fast can I get it out the door? And how fast can I get it installed? Which I understand that that's how you make money. But at the same time, there are certain steps that you take that, you know, you can't skip, you can't shortcut, you can't, you just, um, you know, and, and, uh, to me, that's where it's at, and and that's why you know I've had clients say to me, "I gotta have this in four days." Well, you're talking to the wrong guy because I'm not doing it. So you're just opening yourself up to too many too many issues, and uh,
1: so, anyways, I'll quit my rambling. <laughs> well, you know how else you know how else you make money is you cast it one time only. Yeah, you don't exactly. make money recasting pieces, and so so many guys rush through the process. If yeah. you cast a piece three times, all your profits out the window, and now essentially you're doing it for free, plus giving the client money that they're not aware of, but you're right. spending your own money to see this project through and put it in place. So, you know, there's a lot to be said for slowing down, doing it right, doing it one time only, and having a piece that you don't have to go back and and recast or fix, repair because you rushed through the process.
0: And it goes back to the business side of things that I always refer to. I tell people all the time, there's great artisans out there um, that, in my mind, aren't great business guys. They're, they're phenomenal mm-hmm. with their hands. They're phenomenal, but they're not good business people. And I think what happens is guys, you know, they over-promise under, you know, and underdeliver from a standpoint of, yes, I can get that done. Yes, I can get that done without looking at a calendar and saying to a client, we're eight weeks out. We're 12 weeks out. We're two months out. We're three months out. Um, you know, I, I understand that, you you know, your cabinets are getting delivered next week, but you probably should have called somebody six months ago, knowing that, you know, what your, what your project was going to entail. But I think a lot of guys, what they do is they overpromise that date that led delivery date. And then they feel the pressure of, I got to get it done rather than calling a client and communicating to them. We're behind, sorry, but we're behind. Um, and, and I, most of my clients, most of the time, what they say to me is this, Thanks for calling. Just continue to communicate and let me know and update me. You know, so
2: it, it's it's just, that's just part of it. Um, that's, a part. That's, that's a huge
1: part. 100% that's a huge part. I was right.
2: going to say communication, just in of itself. You know, uh, not just between us and, and clients, but in general, communication. Just communication. You, you yeah. can calm yeah. so many things by just communicating. Uh, And just calm your own problems. Just communicate.
1: Yeah. Well, another part of that is having realistic timelines that work Mm -hmm. for you based on what you need to do. The client's troubles are the client's troubles. Their timeline is their timeline. It's not your timeline. So somebody waits to the last second and says, hey, you know, our our, um, inspection for occupancies in two weeks, we need all the sinks and countertops down. You're like, hey, that's great. Uh, You need to go buy laminate or something, and then we'll make your concrete, and we'll install that six months from now or whenever that's going to be because that's how long it's going to take for us to get to your project and do it correctly. But another thing that a lot of concrete guys lose sight of is when you're driving down the road and you see a restaurant that has a huge line outside and a parking lot's full, and you see a restaurant across the street that's nobody in line and there's no cars in the parking lot, which restaurant do you want to go to? You go to the one that's busy and there's something yep. to be said about when somebody calls you up and says, Hey, I need countertops tomorrow. You're like, Hey bro, I'm 10 months out. I'd love to do it, but I'm 10 months out. That says you're somebody in demand. Now you don't need to artificially put that number out there, but if you're, if you're busy, you're busy. And just be honest with people and say, this is what it is. And I think a lot of clients at the end of the day can respect and value that you're a person in high demand. Yeah. And, and,
0: I think the honesty to go with that, you know, just the fact that you're, you're willing to say, you know, Hey, I'm, you know, we're a two man band and we do what we can. And we're, you know, we're a 1500 square foot shop, not a 10,000 square foot shop with 30 employees. And, uh, yeah, I just went through this discussion with a client, potential client. He called me. He's like, you know, I want to put together some numbers. Um, it's for a field house in Cleveland. I'm like, okay. I said, you know, send me the specs or whatever architectural drawings you have, and I'll get an estimate out to you. So he's like, I think we have plenty of time. I'm like, okay. So <clears throat> he says to me, he says, now the first few sinks are probably just stock items for you. I said, let me stop you right there. He said, what? I said, nothing is stock. Yeah, nothing. Yeah. Nothing. The only thing that is stock in my shop is powder. That's it. Powder, seal, or color. That's the only thing that's stock in there. I said, now, <clears throat> I said, because every sink that I make is generally a different dimension. No two are the same. And he was like, Well, these are just 20 inch sinks. I said, Precisely. I said, you know, how often are you asked that you need a 20-inch sink? So I get the architectural drawings. They're 17-inch sinks. And 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 you know, the other two were, you know, he originally told me they were 84 and 72. They were six foot six and nine foot two or eight foot two. Mm. So, you know, I mean, these are not standard things you got hanging on the wall, you know, and and uh so but I think that sometimes clients will get the impression that you know you're a 25,000 square foot shop and you've got 5,000 square feet of storage where you just have these ramp sinks that are readily available. Um, so yeah I, I I think that the the industry in general, and I'm just speaking in in terms for for my area. But I think the industry in general is, and I think that one of the reasons why I am as busy as I am, and it alludes to what you just said, Brent, is because I am constantly three months out. When people call me and they're like, How far out are you? I'm like, Three months. They're like, That's not bad. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, but the element of, you know, understanding your market. And I will never forget, Brandon, when I went to the first class for the concrete design school, I will never forget this. When Dusty Baker said, man, I can't get more than $55 to $65 a square foot for tops. And you said to him, you do realize that one county south of you is the wealthiest county in the United States.
1: You do realize that. There's people, with helicopters in their backyard.
0: And yeah. he's, jets he said, at the
1: airport, parked, ready to take off any, any
0: moment. He said, if I get $100 a square foot, I'll kiss your ass.
1: Remember, yeah. that? <laughs> no you remember really. that? I'm still waiting, by the way. I'm still exactly. waiting. Every time I see him, I'm, I'm like, hey, bro, is today <laughs> the day? Are we doing it today? So,
0: I mean, you have to understand, you know, two counties away from me is Medina County. Real estate sells crazy over there. It is the fastest and largest growing county in the state of Ohio. People call me from Wayne County, from Medina County, from all over those places over there. And my wife says to me, why do you go there? I said, I go there because I can get the price that I want. That's why I go there.
2: There's money over
0: there. But there's so many guys that don't understand the market that's around them, and they don't try to take advantage of it. So,
1: And the other part of that is they don't, stick to their guns on pricing or timeline. When a customer says to them, "Hey, you know, you, you say, well, I'm 155 a square foot for countertops and I'm 12 weeks out right now. Ugh, I really, you know, we budgeted 95 and we need them in 3 weeks." A lot of guys in that moment fold. They'll say, "Okay, I'll do it." Right? But now they've just committed to something that they can't realistically do in that time frame at a price that they're not profitable. So a lot of times, the best thing you can do is say no. The jobs you don't take a lot of times are the ones you make the most money on right. because you didn't lose money on them. So say, right. I'm sorry. You know, I, can't, I can't meet uh, that criteria. I wish you the best. If things change and, and uh, you want to use us, we'd love to do it. You guys have a good day. And I wouldn't say nine times out of ten, but probably close to it, they'll come back and, and hire you for the project. But then in two weeks, they'll say, hey, you know what? We found it in a budget. We're going to push the timeline. We want you to make the countertops or the sinks or whatever it is, and they move forward. Dusty sees that all the time now. When I talk to him, he has, he's booked up so far out. He gives people realistic timelines, which are very long. And he gives them crazy prices, but that's his price. And people mm-hmm. say, you know what? Let's do it. Let's do it. We want your product. We'll wait. So I, that's a big part of it as well. It is. You're absolutely right.
0: You're absolutely right, and I I tell people all the time: Wouldn't you rather do five, make the same amount of money as opposed to ten in that same amount of time frame, and make the same money?
1: And way that's the way I look
0: at it. It's a lot less yeah. stress. I mean, it's yeah. you know, it's, it's you know, we're back to that emotional value. You know, nobody wants to stand around and, and stare at themselves in the mirror, thinking, "Oh my gosh, I got to put 20 hours in for the next 10 days because I got to meet deadlines." So mm. that's just not healthy for
1: anybody. Yeah. So more time with your family, more time. Right. To- yeah just have a have a decent life something that you just hit on which me and john talked about before we called you is training and the value of training yes so you've been to numerous concrete design school classes and you've gone to other training classes as well yes. in your opinion what is the benefit and the value of attending a training class
0: well in my, in my mind one of the, you know the reason that i started taking trainings was i was getting busier people were asking for more countertops. And I thought to myself, you better educate yourself other than a DVD from California. Um, And, and so I searched all over. I went to a couple of free trainings, but what I found at most of the free trainings were they were pushing product, not pushing knowledge. They would show you how to do some of the stuff, but they were more concerned about selling their product as well as, you know, trying to show you that they um that you could you can sell your concrete for a cheaper square foot. I don't I don't want to sell my concrete for a cheaper square foot. I, I, I you know I, I just you know I want to make the most amount of money but I want to be paid for my knowledge and my skills. So the second after I went to a couple of those, which was fine, I did learn a few things and I and, and networking is everything. I got to know some people who are in the industry and that helps as well. So, I started to search. I started surfing, you know, and I I found, you know, Concrete Design School class. And um, told my wife about it. I said, it's a lot of money, but I said, it looks really promising. After I took that class, I learned two things, guys, and which was very important. Number one, when taking a class, it's not just about learning the product, but it's about learning the trade. And then the second thing is that I learned at that class was there's some value in things that aren't necessarily associated directly with the product. And what I mean by that is the intangibles of how to market yourself, you know, how to use social media. These are things that you don't learn at the average class. But the value that I put into uh, that aspect, uh, to me, is wonders. Because what I appreciated about Concrete Design School was they took time to say, you know what? Here's how you should market yourself. Here's how you should be vested. Here's how to look professional. Here's a contract format. Here is this. Here is that. Here is this. These are things. These are intangibles that I'm telling you, guys. I would say 80% of the guys in the business don't think about
1: yeah. Um and well, and, something that me and John hit on was if you take a class, concrete design school, or another class, but you know, hopefully you'll take a, a concrete design school class, and it saves you from redoing one project, the class paid for itself. Right. If you yeah. learn enough in that class, which if you come to the concrete design school class, especially the pinnacle workshops they're doing now with Dusty, John, and myself, over six days, there's so much knowledge covered. You're gonna walk away and you're gonna be making far better concrete far more professionally, marking yourself better, uh, operating a much more professional company, and that alone, just that alone paid for the class you know, several times over. So it's my opinion that training is a great investment to save yourself from making mistakes and to move the ball further down the road and, and be much further along than you would have had you not taken a training class.
0: It also gives you, like... Uh some, some important things that I've done, like I've spoken at, at, you know, um, you know, like Youngstown business district, they'll have, you know, people have you in um, different, different business organizations. And when you're able to talk about the product and then talk about the business side of the product and then talk about, you know, and you're able to present a very professional front. I mean, it's impressive. And you learn those things when you go to classes. Well, I would say professional classes, um, you know, cause I, Let's, I've been to some classes where it's nothing but a drunken fest. Um, you yeah. make a lot of cool stuff, but, you know, it's not geared towards um, educating you on the entire business. And uh, there's so much value in that. I mean, because I'll give you an example. I, I did a, uh, <clears throat> I did a large corporation up in Erie PA and I went up i met with the designer she fell in love with everything met with the owner he was all jacked up got everything done i met with the business agent who was in charge of the project and i knew right off the get-go he was in over his head and i went to the owner and i said you may want to get that guy some help he's like well i said he doesn't quite understand what's involved with this concrete some of the things that are going to have to be done from a construction standpoint i don't know that he's involved but he's involved now When he came back to me, he said, you probably just saved me a lot of money. I said, I don't know that I did or I didn't. I'm just telling you he needs help because he doesn't understand, you know, exactly what's going on and what has to be done in order to accept, you know, the installation part of this process. And I said, and I would be more than willing to come up and help whoever's doing it to be able to put, you know, the right integrity that's involved. Well, long story short of it is. Yeah, you he know, sent me a thank you letter and all this other stuff. That comes from to me understanding, especially learning at some of the classes, the professionalism that has to go along with this business. Because you know, there's some guys that are phenomenal artists, but if they mm-hmm. walk through my door, dressed the way they dress, looking the way they look, I'd be like, "Get out!" You, have to <laughs> have to do you, you know. And I'm not talking about, you know, I, I'm just talking about making yourself look presentable. Um, yeah. yeah, there's a certain professionalism that comes along, comes along with it. But uh, the class alone, um, you know, what I will say, Brandon, is not only saves you money from probably having to redo, but it also gives you an opportunity to make friendships and network with people that you can call such as yourself, John Schuler you know, some of the other guys that I know in the industry, that, those classrooms give you an opportunity to know the people around the country. Um, and, and, you know, when you have situations that, you know, come about or, you know, that's how I've gotten to know Joe Dietz. I mean, that's how I got to know him was, you know, I met him through a class. Um, uh, that was a fundraiser they were doing for, uh, Patrick Simons. And I went over and helped out on that, oh. and I met Joe over there, you know, got to meet a bunch of cool guys. Um, that networking part that's part of the classroom as well, you know, kind of helps you, you know, because then let's say Brandon gets a hit from somebody in Ohio and he says, I don't have the time, call this guy. It it happens, happens all the time. I I do. Yeah. I do that quite a bit. I, I do that, you know, frequently, you know, I can't get there, you know? So um, I, I, we just delivered tops in Kansas uh, a month or so ago. And and the guy that we delivered him for, I'm like, listen, I've got a guy in Wichita Falls can do the same thing, save you money. I don't care. I didn't call him. I called you. <laughs> okay, got it. You know, but I could have referred him to a really re- you know reputable guy that I know is in that area. So um, the networking is 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 valuable as well.
1: Absolutely That's good. Yeah, yeah. What is something that you've struggled with? recently as say recently, the last year or two with owning and operating a concrete business well um, that's tough i mean being
0: <laughs> i mean i mean you could i could just throw out covid and, and i mean that that's a whole nother conversation how that's just messed things up as far as the the supply chain but i, I think over the last year or two that's probably been the hardest part um hasn't been being able to order stuff, but just being in a position to where um, you can get things on a timely manner. Uh, that's tough for yep. scheduling. Scheduling has yeah, probably been the say, hardest yeah. part um, when it comes to that aspect. You know, I re- from a manufacturing standpoint, making, installation, I really haven't had hardly any issues probably in the last four years. Um, but within the last year, year and a half, I would say the supply chain, um, you know, just trying to figure it out. I mean, my local r driver who delivers my concrete, you know, he told me the other day, it comes out of Columbiana. You know, they're, they're a thousand piece a day company um, out of that depot. They're running eighteen hundred to two thousand pieces a day right now. You just can't mm, keep, wow. You just can't keep up with it. They're renting yeah. five hundred extra boxes. So I would say that's probably my number one, um, you know, that aspect. And and what's funny about that is each state is different. So if I order some product out of Pennsylvania, well their rules are, I mean, they're like on another planet. So because they were only allowed to service the essential business, I could order it, I could go on their their uh <clears throat> shipping detail, but I would get dropped to the bottom of the barrel because I was not considered an essential business. So if two essential businesses called in related to the medical industry, so the variant was I might get it in two days, I might get it in two weeks. It's hard to schedule business based on those, you know. It was so bad at one point in time, I drove to pick up some things.
1: So, yeah. you know. It's happened with some of your orders, Jess, with Kodiak, because we've faced the exact same things where there's so many ingredients in Maker Mix that supply chain issues. You know, the, the blender yeah. will have almost all of them but one or two, and we're waiting on those one or two to come in, but they're stuck in a cargo container in a port somewhere. Right, and there's no timeline on when they're going to be able to get it out of that port and get it to the to the blender it's definitely been a challenge as a product manufacturer to try to keep up with demand and and keep things flowing we're getting better and better at it and we're getting the supply chain worked out and ordering enough materials in advance that we're hoping you know fingers crossed that we can stay on top of it and not have shortages and we can fulfill things in a timely manner, but it's definitely tough to do right now.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. And and I, you know, again, I'll go back to, you know, when we talk about communication, um, how vital that is, because I don't get overly excited with people because I understand the demands of the business, you know, um, you know, and, and uh, it, it's, it's rather comical because last Sunday, our preacher preached on, you know, having, the right attitude and, there's, and he was going through and listening to a bunch of things, how you should be kind and all. And, and, you know, maybe you just don't have that. And I said to my wife, I said, you know what? She goes, what? I said that all, I mean, it's good, but I said, he's never been self-employed. She goes, why? I said, because you can go from uh, excited to irritated in less than a second when it comes to being <laughs> self-employed because you, you have so many variables that, you know, are under your thumb or under your control that you can't fix or you can't change. Right. So uh, that's why I don't get overly excited on people when it comes to the supply chain thing. You know, I, I just pass the information on to my customers. Here's what we're waiting on. You know, I'd love to be a little bit more timely, but you know, so, you know, I, I was in a uh, contractor's office the other day. I walked in to talk to the designer she said, hey, how you doing? I said, good. I said, we're getting ready to do that island for over in Homestead. She said, oh, that's fantastic. And She's like, at least you're not 23 weeks out. I'm like, who's 23 weeks out? She goes, well, my garage door guy. She goes, I thought nobody could beat the kitchen cabinet guy, but the garage door guy is beating the kitchen cabinet guy. I'm like, well, is he communicating? Because, about- yeah. I said, just let your customers know that. I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. Right. So yeah. what, what about windows do? and doors? Windows and oh, doors nice. are a year out right now how you see how far. I have a church. We're doing. We're doing all the windowsills for a church over in Akron, and landed this project back in February. He's like, "We're probably going to be ready around September." I said, "That's fine." Um, they don't have insulation or windows yet.
3: <laughs>
0: oh <my. laughs> So, I mean, scheduling. You know, we talk about supply chain and scheduling. That's just the hardest part. That's just that's. Yeah. You know so. And let's face it, commercial guys, you know, Brandon, you hit the nail on the head. You know, your schedule is not my schedule. So you can't call me and say, because I've been communicating with you, been telling you, you need to give me at least a month's notice of when you think this stuff's going to go down. Um, You know, so, but anyways,
1: yeah. So that's been things you've struggled with. What would you say has been, what's the right word? What what has been a great success or advance or achievement that you've seen in your business over the last year or two?
0: My wife calls it pushing through the gap. Um, I was in the installation or uh, remodeling business for 25 years, 30 years. And when I started to get into the concrete side of things, I started, I tried to shift, you know, I, I, I quit taking on new customers, but after you've built a book of business, it's hard for customers to call you. And you're like, you know, cause I had a lot of repeat people. So, I said, all right, I'm not taking on any new customers and my business, you know, probably from like 2013, 14 on switched to about 60% concrete and then 40% remodeling. And then I decided, okay, the only way I'm going to do remodeling is if it involves concrete. If they want me to redo the whole kitchen, they have to do concrete countertops or I'm not doing it. Yeah. So, I started evolving that, but I will say over the last two to three years, it's 100% concrete. I don't do any of that stuff anymore. And I'm probably leaning now, going to start pushing for bring the trailer, I'll load them up. Or if you want me to deliver them, I'll deliver them, but
2: I'm not putting them in. There you go. Cut installation. Yeah, yeah. Get it. Um, installers. Yeah. I mean,
0: case in point is we put tops in last week. I go in. <clears throat> i said to the customer um because when i price out my concrete i say to them am i tearing out and they're like why so because i charge extra for that if you want me to tear out the old countertops and if you want me to haul them away i charge for that i said i don't put that into the price of the concrete because not everybody you know sometimes customers will tear them out or they'll have their contractor do it so
1: or it's new build exactly yeah
0: so this client says to me uh no, we'll just have you tear them out. I said, okay. So I look them over. I'm like, all right. So I said to my son, they're laminate. We'll just have to get underneath, undo the screws, pop everything off, it'll be fine. They PL'd them down. Whew. They ran a bead <laughs> of PL all the way around the perimeter of the cabinets. So i come oh, back to man! I, yeah, exactly. So now just I'm,
2: jackhammer those things off.
0: I'm fuming. I'm
2: just like without you know what yeah I, without messing up the cabinet or yeah, the cabinet faces. Exactly. Yeah.
0: I you know I really didn't care about the boxes. I could fix those, but what I was more concerned about was, you know, I don't want to delam, you know, these are brand de- you know these are uh they're 17-year-old cherry cabinets, but they were beautiful. I mean, um you know, so fortunately, I was able to use an oscillating tool and and a little bit of and we were able to get them off, but um you know, what would normally take an hour to do
1: took 4 hours. Uh um, oh, yeah.
0: It why was just, would anybody use
1: PL? Well, oh, who in the right mind would do that? On um, Lamb.
0: I've been. I, I said to the client, <laughs> I, "I don't want said, to I have been anywhere. in the remodeling business for thirty years. I have never glued down a countertop, or have I come across a glued-down countertop? She said, "What do you guys do?" I said, "I silicone." She goes, "What?" I go, "I silicone the perimeter." She goes, "Why?" I said, "Here's why." I had a client that wanted to buy countertops. <clears throat> wanted to know that if he changes the 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 cabinets five years from now can he take the counters off and i basically said to him i don't want to talk you out of the concrete counters off, why don't you just wait five years do your cabinets and then get your tops he's like well we're, we're ready for new tops but we think we're going to change them so i said from that point on i was like you know what i'm just going to be in a position where if somebody wants to take it off they just knife the silicone and off it'll come um yeah yeah so that's you
2: know uh, yeah, most of the stuff we make, I mean, it's not going to shift anyway, you know what bro, I mean? Uh, so need, it doesn't need a ton of adhesive. No, no, it doesn't. It
1: doesn't at all. <clears throat> one one time, we did these sinks in Scottsdale for a commercial building. They were floating sinks. They had steel supports that they framed into the framing before they tiled the walls. So it's just steel tubes sticking out of the wall. And the sinks dropped over the tube. They had a drop-down edge. And... Everything was set ahead of time. We gave them the height to set the tube at. So the sinks would be 36 inches or whatever the ADA was for these sinks, for the height, the final height. And the client was very adamant. They wanted them to be permanently bonded because I normally use silicone. But they said, no, no, no. We want use a strong adhesive. We don't want these things to ever come off ever. So okay. I can put PL down. And they said, do that. So we cleaned the steel, we put PL. We set the sinks. And I think it was six sinks. And we got a call. A few weeks later from the general contractor, the building inspector came, they measured all the sinks and one of them was an inch too high because when they set the steel supports, they set them an inch too high. Our sinks were all identical. So whoever put the steel supports just mismeasured, they didn't account for whatever. And they they said an inch too high. So he said, Hey, I need you guys to come out, take the sink off. We're going to have to open up the wall, move these supports down and have you guys reset that sink. And I said, Hey, bro, you told us to make them permanent. We use PL. I don't think it's coming off. He said, well, you know, We tried to get it off, we couldn't get it off. We'll pay you, but come out and and get it off. So I came out there, we brought a jack, uh, a pump up jack. Um, We had two like, or four by fours. We put it on top of the jack up underneath the countertop. We started jacking, applying pressure. We're driving shims, wedges, you know, uh, pry bars, we're hammering, we're lifting for probably a solid hour. We're doing everything we can to get this thing off. And finally the sink popped, popped up, it broke off. We took it off probably about a, I don't know, half-inch, quarter-inch of concrete was permanently glued to the top of those steel Ugh, supports yeah. coming out. It ripped off the bottom of the concrete Oh yeah. because that PL soaked into the bottom oh, and yeah. bonded it. So we just broke it off on the bottom. It didn't break the sink. We are able to set the sink off to the side. A couple weeks later, we came back out. We set it back. But that's how strong PL is. It's insane. Oh,
0: yeah. yeah. I, I mean, <clears throat> I, back when I was in the remodeling business and we would do basements, I always used to tell people, you know, erasers and pencils are a whole lot easier. Soft costs are a whole lot easier than hard costs. And I still remember we did an entire basement one time and we PL the walls down because they were adamant. And then the wife came downstairs and she was like, I need two walls moved. I'm like, we're going to destroy your concrete. She goes, well, yeah. said, there's PL under there. And when I peel this up, the PL is going to bring concrete with it. She's like, well, I don't want that. I'm like, no. <laughs> I, I'm not. I told you, you guys to you know. thought
1: about it. Pencils
0: are soft costs. This is why we do it. But I would getting back to your original question, Brandon, I would say um, in the last two to three years, um, you know, all of my business has revolved around concrete and my wife calls it, you know, pushing through the gap. Like I, I stayed consistent and I stayed, uh, you know, I guess, nose to the grindstone you know getting back to that that same thing as far as you know i i spent a big chunk of money for advertising i spent a big chunk of money on 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 website design i spent a big chunk of money to to get myself in the Youngstown business journal i spent a big chunk of money getting in front of people um you know that investment has finally started to pay off you know and and i tell people all the time um you know the cost of classes only hurts on that first payment because once you do one or two tops and then you realize what an investment it was. It's crazy. So I, I mean, the fact that my business for the last, you know, two to four years um, has just been nothing but concrete has been the hugest blessing, I, I, I would say, for me. And it's where I wanted to go. I mean, once I yeah. fell in love with the product, you know, in, in, in doing that. So getting back to edu- cool. value of education. I had a client once. We did tops for a guy in Bath Township, which is a ritzy district up north of Akron, Ohio and we're all done and we're cleaning up and this guy comes flying through the door putting his hands all over the concrete he's like this is awesome he goes all right let me me know how you do it i go what he's like yeah because i was talking to the guys outside he said but they sent me in here to talk to you i said well they wouldn't tell you how to do it either he goes yeah i said no they're not going to he said why i said well you have a checkbook he said yeah i got a checkbook i said you got it with you he goes, yeah, I said, when you make me out a check for about $20,000, $25,000, I'll start telling you how I do these. Yeah. He's like, why? I said, because that's how much education dollars I have invested to get to this point. I didn't watch YouTube videos. I didn't go on Pinterest. I spent a lot of her earned money and a lot of time to get to this point. So you want to write me a check? Feel free. I'll educate you as much as I can. So, Yeah. you know, it's, I mean, the vibe, vo- Customers need to know the value of that education as well. They need to hear Agreed. that you've spent countless hours in, you know, a classroom setting, in a professional classroom setting, learning your trade. You know, so we didn't go on YouTube and watch some hokey guy uh, go buy two bags of uh, Rapid Set and and Flow and. Uh, threw down some some grout dust and dumped it in there and then shimmy shaked it and and uh, now he's got a brand new coffee table yeah that's fa- that's yeah. fantastic man that's that's awesome do yeah that's kitchen. how you do it yeah do a whole thing.
1: <laughs> so yeah well that's the other point you brought up is you you've developed your own look but the foundation a lot of, uh, of a lot of your looks comes from the knowledge you learned in the duster creep class so oh, yeah. coming and learning from dusty baker really. Kind of paved the way for you to develop your aesthetic, but oh, yeah. what is the value of that? How much income have you made from that that you know ultimately can be traced back to coming and investing in your education, but that's paid dividends over time
0: absolutely yeah i mean the, yeah. the I mean I and mean, I could probably go back and put a dollar figure to it. I mean wrecking rough idea, but you know and again, the blessing too from that class is. I can call Dusty right now. I get off this, this 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 podcast, I call Dusty, and he may not answer or he may answer, but he'll call me back within probably yes. 20 minutes to a half hour. There's value in that because, you know, he understands that, you know, his clients and – and uh, we did a little gig not too long ago, uh, five, six years ago. A uh, guy invited me up to do this, you know, this whole – networking type he invited a bunch of guys to to get together and i went up there and they were like we want you to do you know one of your tops i said i can't they were like why i said because then i'd have to share what i learned at that class and i promised those people that i wouldn't share that unless somebody else went to that class so i'm not doing it so you know whatever you want me to make you know i'd have to do it in private it's just you know, and I remember talking to Dusty before I went up there, and he's like, you know, a lot of those prima donnas won't come down here and take this class. I said, well, I'm gonna tell you right now, I got your back, buddy. I said, yeah. you no, know, I got your back. They ain't getting no freebies
1: from me. So <laughs> I love that. It, it makes me think. Yeah. There was a question I read a long time ago. It was, "What is integrity, and do you have it?" Yeah. And you answered the question. You have integrity. Yes. Well, I mean, it's. You'll, you, I contacted you not
0: too long ago because I did a sink for my wife. Um, it's an erosion-style sink. It's in the shape of
1: uh, – she loves – By keel. the way, uh-huh. uh, my lawyer needs your <laughs> mailing address so they can send you a, a cease and desist. <laughs> yeah.
0: oh, that's funny. Um, <laughs> and I remember calling you before I made it. And do you remember that?
3: And yeah, I, said, I did.
0: I'm planning on doing this. I'll give you street cred. I'll give you everything. If I post it, I didn't post anything. Um, but I said, I just want you to know. And you were like, don't worry. It's I get it. Just do what you need to do. But I made an erosion sink and and it's in the shape of, uh, she loves Ki- Kiowa Island and, and South, South Carolina. It's in the shape of Kiowa Island and it has a couple of cool different features to it. But, you know, I think, And I get into this discussion with people all the time, and this is another bunny trail that we could go down and discuss for another two hours. But I tell people all the time, in this business, from a creative standpoint, if you can't understand why a guy gets upset when he's copied or mimicked without getting some type of uh, recognition,
2: then you shouldn't be in the business. Well, not just mean, for anything, you guys. I mean, anything. The same would be said if I'm writing a book or something, you know, and let's just say, or whatever, I'm I'm, I'm writing an article uh, uh, for a scientific journal, and I quote someone else's study, but yet never put a footnote in there, you know, at the end of the, th- you know, a footnote related to where that material, you know, where that information come from or what I'm re- referencing. It's just... It's astonishing to me that what we're describing right now that people don't see that, or or quite frankly, they probably do. They just don't want to
1: see it is what it boils down to. Here's my view on it. People feel that way until it happens to them. And the reason they feel that way now is because they've never done anything to the level that other people rip off for profit. And it hurts when you put in all the time, energy, failure, because every good design has 50 bad designs behind it that led to that. So there's a lot of invested cost and time and energy that goes into coming up with something. But you go through all these different iterations of something to end up at this final design. That design gets a lot of uh, exposure. It gets published. It gets shared on social media. And then some guy comes along and says, hey, that's pretty cool. I'm going to start doing that and rips off the end product And all that you put into that, you're know, you finally generating income from all that work. People are starting to hire you. And now here's some yokel that's saying, hey, I do whatever it is, erosion sink, or I'm doing a Monite's and a purple countertop like Futon Chang, or whatever it is. They're doing that. But they're stealing that design IP from somebody else. And ultimately, they're stealing money from that person's family, from their kids, from their college fund, from all that stuff. It's theft. It's theft. See, the thing about me is I don't care about about getting credit because I'm still losing money. Right. Mm. Somebody can rip me off and be like, "Hey, this idea is Brandon Gore. Thanks, Brandon." But I'm like, "Bro, you're still taking money away from me that I didn't agree to. I never said it was cool with me for you to do that." And I yeah. know a lot of other designers that feel the same way that are, are in a furniture trade. They have a very unique design. It is original, and then people and. The Ukraine that just happened last week with one of my friends, Tom Jones of Semi Goods. This guy in Ukraine ripped off one of his most iconic pieces and made a YouTube video tutorial on how to make it because really? that guy makes money from YouTube views. And that video in a week has like 200 and something thousand views. And you know, he's yeah. getting ad revenue from people watching the video, but he never once mentions Tom Jones, Semi Goods, nothing He takes full ownership of the design. Everybody in the comments says, oh, my God, you're such a phenomenal designer. This is so creative. How do you do it? And it just blows your mind. But that's people feel justified in stealing because they've never been stolen from. Right. But I think once somebody gets to the level through all because, you know, I'm not some genius designer. I'm just a guy that's done enough bad things. I did a a good thing every now and then. Right. The, The interesting thing, Brent, and I'll give you an example. We have
0: a there's a place right here, um, in uh, uh, it's, it's in I think it's in Columbiana, but it's it it was an old grocery store and a girl bought it, and she turned it into like an interior design, um, and it's called Posh Places. And her name is Tess, and and I've she's called me before wanting some stuff, so she sent me an email, and she said, Hey, I'd love to get some concrete sinks for displays in my new shop. Do you think you can handle it? And I said, yeah, what do you have in mind? I said, you want an original creation or do you want something? She said, I have pictures. I said, okay, fire away. So, of course, she fires me off these pictures. I'm like, these are all Brandon's. My wife goes, what? I go, these are Brandon's sinks. These are all his erosion sinks. She goes, where did did she get the pictures? I go, I have no idea. But they're all Brandon's. I said, I can show you back on his posts these same pictures. She goes, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to refer to Brandon." Says, you're not going to do them? Like, no. I appreciate that. No, no, I'm not going to do them. And, and so I sent her an email back. I said, Tess, I know the designer who designed these and makes these. I said, he's out of Eureka Springs. I said, um, he'd be glad to do them and ship them to you. I said, in whatever, you know, it, it, you know, whatever design or style or origination or what or similar. I said, he'd be glad to do it. <clears throat> she said, Okay. She said, well, thanks for the information. I said, that's fine. She said, you're not interested in doing them. I said, no, because if somebody contacted him, I'm pretty sure he would refer me or refer that person to me if it was like one of my counters, if it was one of my yep.
1: designs or one of my things. I'm pretty sure Brandon would refer. You could have made those sinks. Nobody would have known. I wouldn't have known. Nobody would have known. If you never published a photo, I wouldn't have been alerted. Now, anytime an erosion sink gets published anywhere in social media, I probably get four or five Text within an hour of people letting me know, hey, so and so just did this. It's like, ugh, you know, and it's always disappointing because I always feel like I know this person. Why would they do that? Why would they do that? But I'm, I'm, you know, made aware pretty quick. But I wouldn't have known. But you would have known, and that's what integrity is. Is you're like, hey, I'm not doing, I'm not stealing from somebody that is I'm friends with that I know as as a person. Um, But that's you know, I'm not going to say it's increasingly rare because. I'm not pessimistic on, on society, but it's something that unfortunately happens more than it should where guys will sell, sell out their buddy to make a dollar behind his back.
0: Mm
3: -hmm. And
1: uh, I wish it wasn't that way. So.
2: Yeah. Well, it happens with, yeah. And unfortunately it happens with more things than that. It happens with materials and
0: it's crazy. Part of that though. And this is another part of the business that I don't think guys take advantage of. And I learned this at the first class, I think was first. It might've been, might've been your fabric forming class, but I remember you saying, shut everything down, take the first 30 minutes of your day, shut everything down and just create, draw it on paper. Could be a thumbnail sketch, could be anything. I still have that little book that you give. um, and, And you said, you know, take the first 30 minutes of your day. I'll bet most guys don't take five minutes to try and come up with an original design
3: yeah
0: and and and, and, it and, and I, exist it, well and it is and, it's, and I, my wife says to me all the time she goes you creative people i said it's not you creative people i said honey everybody's creative it's just if you take the time to learn how to you know hone
1: in on that and i said right you know, it's, it's discipline a, it's, yeah it's, it's discipline a, yeah yes It takes work to be creative. And it takes work to have original ideas and original thought. It doesn't just happen. It takes repetition and takes sustained work to develop Mm -hmm. original thought and original ideas. But it is possible. But what you're saying, dude, I did that for years. Every morning before I'd go to my studio in Tempe, I'd go to Starbucks or Cartel Coffee or some coffee shop. And I'd sit outside with a little sketchbook and drink an iced coffee. And just do a sketch of anything, anything that came to mind that could be made in concrete. And there's some wild ideas that things can be made out of concrete, but I do a quick sketch. And from those sketches to this day, I'll still flip through those books sometimes. And there's still really amazing ideas in there that I still haven't done, but are are just waiting to be done. Yep. But yeah, it's a process. It doesn't just happen. But a lot of people don't want to put in the work. That's the other thing is a lot of young designers come up and are like, "Well, it's on Pinterest, it's on Instagram, it's up for the oh, it's up, for grabs." You know, good artists create great artists steal or whatever that quote is. Bullshit, bullshit. Yeah. Lazy artists steal. You know, great guys will put in the hard work to do it. And the other thing is, I did a tile design, for instance. I did a tile design. Now I know nothing about the tile industry. But my wife worked in that sector for a lot of years in the really high-end tile world. Mm-hmm. So I did this tile design, three-dimensional, angular. I rendered it in SketchUp. I did some modeling of it. And I showed it to her. And I did a bunch of different ones. But these are all original thought to me. I've never like, looked through a tile book or a magazine or gone to a tile show. So I'm completely clear-minded when it comes to the tile industry. I know nothing about it. So anyways, I do these designs and I show it to her. And the one I really, really liked, I showed it to her. And she said, it looks exactly like, I can't even think of the name, some Italian company. It looks exactly like this tile they have. I said, really? She's like, yeah, look it up. And she knew the name of the tile. So I Google it. Sure enough, they have almost the exact same design. And this was the one I was really excited about. And after I thought about it, it made sense because the way I designed it, every, every facet had a purpose. Like I didn't just arbitrarily draw it to draw it. I drew it based on this geometry and fastening it in a certain way, but it made sense somebody else had the same thought process to end up at that same design, right? right? But they done it. And so integrity is saying, hey, even though this is original to me, hey, I thought of this by myself, I didn't rip you off. I can't, in good conscious at this point, still do it because now I'm aware that somebody else has previously done it. So I hear that argument sometimes where guys say, well, I never even saw that sink, I came up with this idea in my own. Great, but now you have seen it. And now you know it's been around since 2004. So now that you're aware, what are you going to do? Now that you have awareness. So that's the other part of it is you may have had original thought. I'm not discounting that. But once you're aware that at that point, somebody predates it, you know, the river tables. You've seen these things, the resin tables running down. The guy that originally did that happened like 12, 15 years ago. There's this really obscure post on, on the internet where this guy did a river table with glass. Well, then this other guy became famous for it, and he actually hmm. trademarked the name River Table, copyrighted it, and he started going after guys. anybody that called it a River Table, he'd send them a cease and desist, and he was super protective of it. But then it became known that somebody else had done it before him, and it also became known that he was aware of that guy. Huh. So what do you do at that point? Because at that point you're you're ripping off a concept, a design that you knew predates you. You know. But he still held to his guns and said, oh, it's my design. Whatever. We we see how that turned out. Now the whole market's flooded with river tables. You can't go anywhere without seeing one of those things. But yeah, that's – to me, that's the other side of integrity is even if it is original to you, if you become aware, if you have awareness at that point, what are you going to do? And that really kind of determines where you fall on the scale of integrity. Sure. Yeah, exactly.
2: I don't know, man.
1: I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) john's never been ripped off so he can't talk no that's
2: not true you guys know better than that i got how many times have i seen somebody else takes three ingredients and now calls it an ecc this or well i'm talking about concrete
1: design you're talking about materials yeah from a materials viewpoint john gets ripped off left and right all the time yeah yeah
2: turn your back and and it'll be that same person who Rip things off and they'll posting somewhere like, and then John doesn't even know what he's talking about. I'm thinking, seriously, well, he
1: doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't, he has no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs>
2: right. Unbelievable, but yeah, no, I, I mean, I see it often from an entirely different perspective, but yes, yeah, it, it, um, it beats you on
1: you. you yeah, you want to get angry about it, and it, the reality is it beats on you. It really it sure does. does, it does to me anymore, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's definitely—it's a drag. It's a grind. As time goes on, I fluctuate. I fluctuate between not caring to being extremely angry. And it really kind of falls into: Do I know this person? Are they a friend of yeah. mine? And if they are, and they ripped me off, that's what really makes me angry. But if it's somebody right. that I've never met, never heard of, there's some young kid that's new, whatever. You know, I mean, it still doesn't make it right. This person knows they're they're ripping off somebody else, but there's not that perso- personal connection. That's the ones that, that really hurt the most is when it's somebody that you know that you've known for a long time. But it's not yeah. just, I mean, Erosion Sink's just one design, but there's a thousand designs, not just my designs. I mean, there's a thousand designs out there that guys are ripping off from other guys because I feel justified to do it. And, you know, there's no satisfaction in that. There might be some quick money to be made. You might land a project or two, but long run, what are you, a counterfeiter? Is that what you, is that what you got in this business to do to rip off other people? Or did you get in this business to want to actually develop something that has its own legs, you know, that on its own merit gets a lot of attention and um, notoriety. But, uh, you know, but I also get it because when I first started, people came to me and said, make this. And it's hard when you're struggling financially not to do it Yeah, because you need business. And somebody comes in and says, hey, we want this thing. And you're like, man, it looks like a lot like buddy roads or futong chang or you know back then there was very few companies but they'd say make this and you're really torn because you don't want to do it but at the same time you're trying to pay your bills so i get how it happens but you know it still comes down to having integrity so yeah i agree i agree yeah. we covered a lot yeah we did cover a lot yeah. yeah and
2: we'll still cover more i mean there's Still more about the business side. I mean they're, they're so we could which we'll just keep it more and more podcasts. I mean, I,
0: I mean I enjoy them. I mean I like listening to other guys. I like <laughs> they're taking the business. I mean I I don't know. I'm I'm kind of a podcast junkie though. So I, I mean I, I listen to a, a variety of things, but uh, what's your
1: favorite podcast?
0: Uh, Joe Rogan. I love Joe Rogan. I listen to Joe Rogan. Yeah. Joe Rogan, Kim Haynes. Is, is another podcast guy that I really like. He's a, uh, um, he's a backwood country hunter um, and uh, kind of self-made. Um, he's fun to listen to. Uh, I, I love the back, back country hunt uh, where you have nothing but a backpack and a tent. And your home is where you end hmm. up. And uh, so um, most of my stuff leans towards the hunting industry. That's about the only hobby I have. I do some sports stuff. I do some every now and then I'll listen to some sports stuff. I train quite a bit. I lift four days a week. So sometimes I'll listen to a couple of guys. Um, I love to listen to Louis Simmons uh, out, of, out of Columbus. Um, he, he's hilarious. Um, so other than that,
1: who's your go-to, Brandon? Well, for me, I like the True Crime podcast. So Crime Junkie, which I like a lot. Crime Junkie, I went down that rabbit hole. I was doing all this excavation work on my property. I was an excavator 10 hours a day, and I found Crime Junkie, and at that point, they probably had 200 hours of of backlog episodes, and I went through all of them in a week, it felt like. I just, all day, every day, listen to Crime Junkie. So I really like Crime Junkie, and another one, uh, it was Anatomy of a Murder I like, and there's one other one I like, I can't think of the name of it at the moment, but I go down the true crime rabbit hole. But I shouldn't, because now I'm super paranoid. Like, I don't, I don't want my girls to go outside. I don't want to go anywhere. Yeah. You know, if I walk <laughs> to my shop in the dark, I have my Glock in my hand at you yep. know ten o'clock at night. It's it's hundred feet from my house to my shop, but I got a Glock it with a light on it. You know, in the dark, as if there's somebody in Eureka Springs, Arkansas, trying to trying yeah. to murder me. So it's probably not a good thing for me to listen to, but I do enjoy it
2: you guys got me. I'm going to have to start looking for podcasts. I don't do any of them. Well, you listen to
1: podcasts. uh... I
2: was going to say, you listen to the Concrete Podcast. Yeah. No, I mean, like, as you're talking about, I mean, I I literally Googled. I didn't even realize. I'm looking now. I didn't realize there was so much. Planet Money. I see crime. Oh, Planet Money is great. Yeah. Yeah. Conan O'Brien. A lot of good uh, stuff out there. yeah.
1: Yeah. There's a really good one. So PBS has a lot of good podcast where the production value is really good in the sense of they have a great team and great interviewers and documentary style and there was one called S-Town. s town s is in sam and it stands for shit town but you, know, you obviously can't name it shit town and and you know as the title mm-hmm. so it's s town s town is phenomenal phenomenal yeah. it's a documentary it's it's 100 real they're it, they're interviewing essentially more or less following this guy in this uh podunk town but it is like insanely powerful i listened to it i was on a road trip to arkansas or to arizona i'm sorry i was to arizona from arkansas and i put it on and my wife called me i just kept muting the call for hours every time she called me i just mute the call because i was so just in the podcast but s town super good okay i'll look at mm-hmm. this. yeah, yeah if you're on a long drive it's a good one if you can make it to the pinnacle class we'd love to see you buddy
0: Brandon, that is a rough time of year for me because I don't want to I don't hear it. No excuses.
2: <laughs> November. <laughs> YOLO. <laughs> I'd have to
0: buy I would have to buy an Arkansas hunting license and then I'd have to shoot your deer that you have running Not around. Neighborhood. So I you
1: know- I have wild turkey and deer literally standing on my road when I pull in each morning or when I used to live down the road. There'd be turkey. I'd pull in on my driveway, and there'd be wild turkey running down the center of the road. I'd chase him down the road as I was driving. Yeah, the largest sure. buck ever taken by bow by archery in Arkansas was taken pretty much on my land. Like at the bottom of the hill where I live was where it was taken. So, mm.
0: so this is your selling. This is your, your selling
1: point for Pinnacle
0: of getting me out there. That some of the largest deer in Arkansas are, are in your county or are in your area. So, because they're on my is, land. Like, November is like my favorite time of the year. It's like, you know, um, travel quite a bit. But short story. So we did these tops in Kansas. <clears throat> All right. My son, Spencer, loves the turkey hunt. Well, one of his favorite things to do. I never really got into it because coming into the springtime is when you usually when you hunt them. And I like that's when in the renovation business, that's like when you're starting to amp up. So I never really yeah. had time. So this guy comes rolling into my shop. He's a friend of mine. He's like, hey, <clears throat> I want you to do this tops. I want you to do this island. Da da, da da I'm like, okay. He said, but give me the pickup price. I said, all right. I give him the price. He's like, okay. I said, well, what's out there that you're replacing? He said, it's, it's steel. I said, steel? He said, yeah, they bent steel over top of like MDF. I go, interesting. I've, I've never seen that application before other than maybe like stainless. He goes, no. He said, they painted it with like a, it's kind of a coppery modeled, and, and I said, well, you have a drop-in sick. He goes, no, we have an undermount. I said, ooh. I said, did it rust? He goes, that's why you're replacing it. Hmm. So anyways, long story short, he's walking out the door. And I said, hey, good luck with that, tearing that off. I said, that's probably nailed down pretty drastically. And I said, Just, you need some tips and tricks. I'll give you some other stuff from the shop here you can borrow when you're out there. So he's walking out the door, right? He turns around. He goes, I have a better idea. I go, what's that? He said, how about you guys drive out stay in the lodge and you install it and you can hunt turkeys for a week for free and stay in the lodge for free, just like a a vacation. And I'm like, well, let me think about it. So I'm, as I'm turning around, Spencer goes, we'll do it. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. He's like, yep, we'll do it. Yeah. We're in. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah. He goes, dad, come on. He goes, we can turkey hunt in Kansas. And all I'm like, whatever. I said, I guess we're doing it. So yeah, that's how we got we got lopped into lopped into doing that. But uh right on. it was a good time. Sure. I mean, the lodge sat on a ten acre lake. We had a fr- we had a boat to ourselves. Uh, I was in the middle of nowhere. Um, that's my kind of place. So, but well,
1: bring uh,
3: your
0: bow. Okay. All right. All right, buddy. Okay, guys. Hopefully, see you. All right, guys. All right. Thank- good talking to you. you. Good seeing you. Good-, good talking with you guys. Take care. All right, Jess. Take Adios. care. Adios. Bye bye.